right, welcome to Tech Crossover. Uh, I'm Greg, as always. Uh, today should be pretty fun, um, especially with you know news that's going on. I have with me Neil Katz, everybody Neil Katz here, and Tyler. Hi, Neil. Good, good to see you. Yeah, you too, man. Um, I guess we'll start with because there's people who aren't living here who know about you. Give a little background on what you, where you come from, and what you're doing. Sure. So my name is Neil Katz. I'm a rabbi uh, here in Tyler, Texas. Um, I'm at Congregation Beth El. Uh, the congregation's old. It's 132 years old uh, this year. And uh, I've been here, I'm now in my 17th year of employment, but I've actually been connected with the congregation longer than that. I've been connected with them for 19 years. I was here as a part-time student before I came back full-time in 03. Um, it's a great congregation, but um, there are two Jewish congregations here in Tyler, and so this is the oldest one, and it's part of the Reform Movement. But what I found is that when I moved to Tyler all those years ago, I was really here just for three years. I always joke with people that I'm now in year 17 of a three-year contract. <laughs> but the reason I stayed is because, you know, I, I do the work as the rabbi at the congregation, but that community has allowed me to uh, branch out and do all other kinds of things. So I found out that I'm a nonprofit junkie. I'm super involved in a lot of the local nonprofits. I helped start a couple of them. I make sure that they have funding. I make sure that they have good governance. Um anything that I could do to help. And so that's a, a blessing and a curse to be that spread out in terms of all these different nonprofits. But there's so much good work that's going on here. Um, I've been involved with a lot of uh, interfaith dialogue. I used to be the head of the Ministerial Alliance. I now teach a class, an intro to Judaism class at the University of Texas at Tyler. I used to teach at TJC, and now I'm at UT Tyler. Um, I get to write some local stuff. I'm also a musician, so I have a few CDs to my name. I get to leave town and perform from time to time. But I also have a local band that I perform with uh, as a community shows a couple times a year. Okay. So I, why leave, right? So yeah. It's just, oh, it's a great, it's a great community and I get to do all these different things. So uh, people sometimes know me in one capacity and then they forget that I'm a rabbi. Right? Because they, <laughs> oh, right. I forgot that. I thought you were just a professional volunteer or something like that. But um, it, it's, it's because I have a great congregation that lets me do all these things in the community. Very cool. Very cool. So this episode is about politics mm -hmm. and the role technology has played in politics um, in the past and recently. You recently had a campaign. So I want to talk to you first about how you used tech as a whole and as a construct to spur your campaign. And is there anything you have done differently with that? Sure. So uh, to, to finish up the rabbi thing, so... One of the crazy things, and I did have to go to the board and get permission to do this, is that I decided to run for office. Um, in the general election of 2018, I ran as for the Texas State House, House of Representatives in Texas, from District 6. Uh, and, and we don't have to get too far into this, but the reason I ran is because our current, our incumbent who is there, um, I had an issue, still have an issue with him and his politics and the way he... Um, has or has not been responsive to the local community. Um, just for people who don't know, in 28 years, there had been no opponent opposite whoever the Republican nominee was in the primary. In once, in 2000, there was some outlier Democrat who put their name on the ticket, but was not a, truly a candidate. It was just a name on a, a ballot. So I'm going to ignore that as an outlier and just say that for 28 years, there had been no other opponent. So really, the local politics happens in the primaries, specifically the Republican primary. Uh, any non-Republican is basically uh, an afterthought here, and that's been unfortunate for our community. 
my concern with our current state rep was that uh, he was going to get to November of 18 unchallenged again. Mm -hmm. And I felt like uh, after the Trump election of 16 and the divisiveness in our communities and a lot of people, especially on social media, uh, telling everybody else what to do, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to take my political capital, my communal capital, my money, uh, my friends, and I'm going to do something that's unheard of and that's run a political campaign. Um, and so it wasn't an easy decision. And if that's not crazy enough, um, I ran as an independent. Now, uh, we can we can have a different podcast as to why I chose to run as an independent. But the short version is that um, there, there, I, I truly believed and still believe that um, the that our country is divided politically to the point where we don't talk to each other, we don't respect each other. Um, I just had this vision of knocking on your door, doing a block walk, and saying, hey, I'm Neil Katz, I'm running for state house representative. You were Republican or Democrat. And whichever answer I gave to you, it didn't matter anything else. For the next the next five minutes of conversation means nothing. Yeah, people get, especially now, it's so divisive, people hear one or the other, and that's it. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I know, and I use this phrase during the campaign, I, I know that we have what's called the workable middle. Mm-hmm. And people and, and I kind of fall into that workable middle category, fiscal conservative, socially progressive, mm-hmm. very comfortable doing that. So call me a Democrat, call me a liberal, call me not a true Democrat, call me a Republican, whatever. I don't care. So I decided to run as an independent in all of Texas. There were eight people on the ballot who were running as an independent. Seven were running for U.S. Congress from elsewhere in the state. Mm-hmm. And one was running for the Texas State House. That was me. Um in the entire state, all of those third-party candidates, whether they were independents, Green Party, whatever other party, Libertarian, everybody got about a half a percent of the vote to to maybe one percent. I got twenty-five percent, and I was from scratch. So, I, I take it as a badge of honor. There was no Democrat in my race, so it was me versus the incumbent Republican. Um, and so, in the in the summer of two thousand seventeen, as I contemplated running because I I didn't want him to go unchallenged the following year. Um, and as I contemplated becoming an independent, because I wanted to create a completely different narrative. Right? I was not going to go wave the flag on the behalf of the Democratic Party. I was offered a lot of money to run as a Republican. They said, look, you know local politics all happens in the Republican politi- uh, primary, so here's a lot of money to go run in the Republican primary. I didn't want to do that either. I don't want to be a flag waving for anybody. I want to mm-hmm. just talk about what we as a community need and focus on local issues. It's a problem both with Republicans and Democrats that they focus on national politics when we need to focus on local issues. And my big issue was education, where I felt that it was our local rep's biggest failing. So as I contemplated this and finally did it, uh, I was told I would never raise any money. I was told that I wouldn't have any supporters. I would get no votes. Um, I raised a lot of money, 120000 which is a lot for a first-time-out campaign. That's a lot. Yeah. And a non-party person. Mm-hmm. And I had 28 people who were working for me at one point. I mean, and one of those people was the form. It was a former board member of the local Tea Party, and one of them is the head of the College Democrats. Two solely polar opposites. But that speaks to who I am in the community in Mm -hmm. terms of my relationships across the board. So I had wide Republican support, and Mm -hmm. of course Democrat support. I'm not going to ignore that, but Mm -hmm. um, it positioned me. So my question was, to your point, you know, how do I move forward in this campaign, knowing that it's a the tech world that we live in. So I'm bringing it back to, the, to that piece. Um, and so I was fortunate in that uh, through mutual friends and 
probably the coolest thing is what, that once I announced, I had people reach out to me personally and say, hey, I like you. I like your message. I know you. What can I do to help? And they have tech backgrounds. Um, I, I mean, I'm fully aware of social media and so forth. As a musician, I have that piece of the puzzle as well. But to do it as, from a political standpoint. And so I, I contacted some professionals, people who are advertise themselves as you know political consultants for social media and so forth. Um, they either told me to buzz off or they were tens of thousands of dollars for whatever. But at the end of the day, I get it. Like you're just, we look at our phones however many times a day. Mm -hmm. um, I was getting text messages from different campaigns all the times. Annoyed. I was annoyed with them. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but if you can have an online presence uh, that's positive and uplifting, that resonates. And so the question was, how do we craft that? So again, I was fortunate to be surrounded by a bunch of people who um, have that background and had that vision. And, and I was obsessed with messaging, right? I never said one negative thing during the campaign. It was all very positive. Um, how that translated out. So my first attack was, of course, Facebook. Um, and then we had um, an Instagram account, which I still don't personally understand or get. I'm not an Instagram person. I have an Instagram for the podcast. I have not posted one thing to this Instagram post for this podcast because I don't get it either. And I'm a tech guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that there's like people who upset my kids are obsessed with Instagram and they stare at it. Um, I, I, I had a group of college students that worked with me, a number of them, uh, or let's just nickname them millennials, right? People. Mm -hmm. And the question was, how do I get them and engage them? Um, we, you may want to talk more about this in a minute, but I was told very early on in the campaign from professionals and people who had done it before, there are three communities that you don't engage. Like when you're campaigning, you focus on the, communities X, Y, and Z. But there are three communities you never spend any energy or money on. Number one, Hispanics. Two, the black community. And number three, millennials. Why? Don't vote. Don't vote. Don't vote. Okay, a couple of them vote, right? And so I, in my stubbornness, spent a lot of money and energy on the black community, the Hispanic community, and the millennial community. And when I was interviewed about it and they asked me why, because people noticed that, I said, because if I were to win without the support of those communities having reached or heard their voice... I wouldn't think that it was a legit victory um, just to win because I know what white voters are going to vote. Uh, we all know that data. I mean, I mm -hmm. have, everybody has that data, but I think that it was disingenuous to who I am just to obsess about, you know, the, the, you know, that community. That makes me very naive. I know if somebody's a political professional, they're going to be like, well, duh, that's why you lost. <laughs> but again, that's the campaign I wanted to run. Yeah. Was a campaign that involved a wider swath of the community than just who voted before, what neighborhoods do they live in, and that's where I'm going to door knock. So my outreach specifically to the millennials had to be all social media. They don't generally have um, a permanent addresses where you're going to mail material to. They certainly don't have landlines. Um, they certainly don't have cable where you're going to be locally you know, putting advertising. So it all had to be Facebook, Instagram. I messed with Snapchat for about eight seconds, and I stopped that. Uh, but it also kind of, that faded mm -hmm. over the past couple of years as well. So it was really those areas, and Twitter, I'm sorry, and Twitter. Yeah. So everything I posted was those three. And in a sense, I used Twitter as my kind of quick comments. I used Facebook as my, I mean, used Instagram as sort of my visual comments. And then I used Facebook as my long-form content. At least that's how I processed it. Um, I, you know, I, I like bumper sticker politics, but sometimes you have something to say. Um, and when you have something to say, you can't do it on Twitter 
or Instagram. So Facebook is where it is, or your website blog. But mm-hmm. you know, the ten people that look at my website blog versus the five hundred that look at your Facebook, uh, that matters. And so, of course, it's all interconnected. So then you need the smart people who can interconnect them. So I really, I really made a concerted effort not only to post, you know, and to engage people across those platforms, but also to advertise on those platforms, just because that's where, again, people are seen. Uh, I'll share one other thing, and I, I don't, I don't want to share a name because I, I don't want to embarrass her. But she, there was a person in the community who um, was a, a very strong supporter of mine, who happens to be um, a an expert in Facebook advertising. So I've done Facebook advertising where you say, okay, this is my ad. I want to target A, B, C, and D. Right? That's the that's the kindergarten version of Facebook yeah. advertising, and that's where I'm comfortable. This person understands the real deep back end of Facebook with pixels and lookalike communities and all mm-hmm. this stuff that I don't understand. Geolocating and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and so I started getting in the campaign, I started getting outreach from people showing up to my events, um, responding to my videos, responding to my posts that I had never heard of before. And I mean, it, it wasn't like a couple hundred people. It was like a couple, few thousand people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for good and for bad, of course. You never target all the right people. So I was getting nasty comments as well. That was always fun. But um, what was amazing is those that, that outreach from somebody who really knows what they're doing on the back end of Facebook advertising, uh, that stuff matters. You never see it, but you feel it as a candidate. So I'll cool. pause there because there's a lot <laughs> going on. Yeah, but no, but that kind of gives a synopsis of how you know political climate now is so data-driven, first off, because um, even on the negative side with your, your Cambridge Analytica, well, all that kind of stuff, but even on the positive side, outreach now by political parties and candidates is through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter, through social media posts, because millennials engage in that, you know, technically I'm a millennial, but I'm on the old end, but people in their twenties and thirties in college, that's what they do. They are on their phones 24 seven. So to have that arm of your political party or your political wing is now vital. You the days of, I have not seen um, marketing collateral, the actual old school vote for me postcard. I, 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 had, I had those two. You had those? Well, well, because, because that goes to the actual voters. In other words, um, so let, let me share with you part. This is actually part A. The, the, the social media engagement was part B, so I forgot to tell you part A. So part A was before we got to that part, um, or let me just put it this way. The social media is an engagement piece of a political campaign. But before I touched any social media, um, I did what all good candidates do. I went through the voter records, which are all publicly available here in Smith County at Task Forum. Um, and I have a, an amazing friend who's a, who's a um, uh, I got to think of the right way to say it without outing him. He does. He's he, he's a mail expert. So like if Long John Silvers wants to mail a hundred thousand things to this block of zip codes to people who make this amount of money and went to, you know, these 10 schools or whatever, that, all that data is available. So this guy knows how to mail merge all that junk. Anyway, he took all this, this publicly available data and it, we went back as far as we could go. So we were looking at people who have long voter histories. Like if you look at mine, I'm, I'm a good voter, right? So like I vote in primaries, I vote in general elections, I vote in those May mayoral elections, I vote in school bond elections, all that stuff is available. So what we were doing is we were giving a score. If you voted in a, I just want to tell you, if you vote in a nat- national election, like in the presidential election of November of 16, mm-hmm. so what? Meaning you would get like a five on our score, right? 
I mean, yeah, it's great you voted, but did you vote in the primary? Then you get a score of 50, right? Because that's a much more engaged voter. Did you vote in a school bond? You know, were you one of the 300 people that voted in a school bond? You get a score of 200, right? Or, or the mayoral election or city council election, it's 500. I mean, you know, I had a friend tell me from the Hispanic community, you know, they say, well, my vote doesn't count. So their response, this guy's response to this person who made this comment is, now your one vote doesn't count, but your vote in all the elections definitely counts. Right? It's not one vote that matters. It's the pattern of voting that matters that brings you. Because then the politicians look at those people and say, oh, my gosh, goodness, look at this community. Look at this neighborhood. Look at this racial makeup, whatever. Mm-hmm. They have a great voting history. That's who I'm going to target my campaign to. So we took all that data and we scored them. And that's our own little secret recipe. And then we now knew the top 10,000 voters in Tyler. I knew who they were. I knew where their address was. I knew their voter ID. I know which elections they voted in. Uh, I knew what political party they were in generally because they vote in Texas. They vote by political party in primaries. So did you vote in the Republican primary or the Democrats? So I knew what I was walking into. So we took all this data, and, and this is the tech part of it. So I spent a lot of time, more than I need to, talks about things that I would do again. I landed on this thing called Nation Builder. Are you familiar with Nation Builder? Mm-hmm. So Nation Builder is where you dump all that data in the back end, and it is it has to be very precise. Yeah. But what you do is you then create um, a nation, but you also connect it through API through to Facebook and to Twitter. Those are their two connectors. Mm-hmm. So if you're in uh, you know, Kansas City, and you're a friend of mine, and you happen to see my campaign on Facebook, and you click like on one of my posts, you're now going to pop up in my nation as a supporter. Not your email address, but your name. You know, Joe Schmo. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't care about the Kansas City guy, right? But no. but the so it starts out with a database of people that are voters, right? And I'll tell you what the problem is for anybody who's interested in tech. Here's a fix this problem, and you'll be a millionaire. <laughs> So let's say, uh, Greg, you know, you, Greg Bryant, right? Yes, right. So, Greg, you let's say you're in my nation because you have a great voter history and I've scored you high enough to be one of my target audiences, right? So you're in that list as Greg Bryant and you're, they assign you a nation builder ID, one, two, three, four, whatever. But then let's say you like one of my Facebook posts, right? You now have a different nation builder ID because of your social media presence, which is, Number 8541. I'm making up something, right? Yeah. I need those two to be the same thing. That's the problem. So you need a crosswalk. I need a crosswalk. And I'm sure there's smart people out there like, oh, all you have to do is, you know, hit, you know, you know, yeah. run it through the flux capacitor. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. But the thing is, we tried mightily, but I was dealing with 100,000 names. Yeah. Right? So to, to make that stuff work was very difficult. And finally, we gave up because I didn't care. I just recognized that some people were going to be duplicates or triplicates in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I recognized that they were different engagement communities. So the Nation Builder was very important. And then I built a website through Nation. Um, the templates were free. Well, you pay a monthly amount. It was 29 or 39 bucks a month to start. But when you start dumping in 100,000 names, it's now 400 bucks a month. It's all data. It's all data on the back end priced. Um, I would definitely use Nation Builder again. I don't know if I would use them as my front end um, template because it's a little intrusive but then the people who build the front end of nation builder pages are four or five thousand bucks a pop sometimes 1500 i don't know it was more than i was willing to spend yeah um and but i was comfortable 
uh, on the data end that we had the data in my computer and across my campaign, and that was in the nation, the Nation Builder database, which mattered when we went block walking. So what's cool in the Nation Builder, I'm sure there are other apps for this, you, you single out a neighborhood, and you can give them different qualifications, all Republicans who voted mm-hmm. in 2012, whatever, and you block walk to that group. So it's kind of like Salesforce, if you have used it. like Salesforce. It's like Salesforce for political. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. constituent management relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, the, that helped with our block walking. Um, it helped with uh, petition signing. It helped with um, identifying certain neighborhoods. Um, and then somebody would say to me, well, I live in such and such a neighborhood. Well, great. I'm going to give you a block walk of 30 homes in that neighborhood. Um, that's how... That's how specific the nation gets. So that's that's the data boring back end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of politicians know nothing about that. No. But I was up till four in the morning figuring this, this out every night. Uh, and then there's the engagement piece, which is the social media piece. Yeah. And I mean, you, you're right. Politicians don't know because when Zuckerberg was in the House and testifying and they're asking, him, well, how do you make money? He's like, ads. I mean, that's, <laughs> th- this is how this works. you know. And you can see the aides behind them like... Come on, man. They're the twenty-something-year-olds who know this, and they're sitting there. Well, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a different, no, that's probably a different podcast for a different time. Um, so let's kind of spin it forward to the present day. Sure. Um, current political, po- you said it's divided. I think I don't care what your political affiliation is. You have to agree we're in a divided time for one reason or another, and we can parse that out um, as we do. But. Well, I- for me, there's no question as to why we are. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not... We can go down that road. I'm willing to go down that road. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we have um, <clears throat> a, a two-party system that has betrayed the middle. And, you know, I think we all like to think of ourselves as moderates and independents, but we're not. No. And um, I'm going to tell you half of a story, I promise, because I, I don't want to get in trouble on this podcast. Um, there was a Democrat that registered to run in my race, or not my race, but in that race for the state house seat. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a throw-on candidate the last minute, and it pissed me off, right? Because had I known that this person or any Democrat was going to be on the ballot, I would never have submitted my name. That's I'm telling you very scant details. But one of the... Um, uh, now i got to lose my train of thought here. So <laughs> one, of, one of the things is that when, when they decided to run... Um, I'm embarrassed because I'm I'm losing my track because there's a whole bunch of this story. Yeah. You, you were talking about um, current. Well, so, so I'll, I'll bring it back. I was talking about current political climate, the, the vision of current political climate. Mm-hmm. You were saying how you know we all say we're independent, oh, know, but we're not. Know, we're one I, side I, or the other. Now I know. Yeah. It turns out that this person who filed filed incorrectly. There were three knocks against her filing. Number one, it was in, filed in the wrong location. Which is they filed it in Austin, which in Texas you're not allowed to do if we're a single county district. Look it up in the election code, right? Two, Austin doesn't have the legal authority. Then the Texas Demo- State Democratic Party doesn't have the legal authority to put anybody on the Smith County ballot. Only the county people can do that. Mm-hmm. So that that should have made. And number three, her into actual filing didn't have enough signatures. So boom, boom, boom. It was mm-hmm. it, it was a clear cut case of a violation of Texas election law. A violation of what's called form fi- form filing and content and location or something weird like that, and the actual she didn't fulfill the the number of ballot signatures were necessary, so it was it was so open and cut. So uh, when I and I talked to a uh, high 
official in the Texas Democratic Party, and I brought this to their attention. And they looked at it, they, they said, oh my God, this you're right. Yeah, this is a person, you know, filed incorrectly. And she filed an hour and a half before filing deadline. There was a whole line of people. So, so therefore, they didn't have the presence of mind to actually check that her district was a single county district and therefore couldn't be filed. Like, they didn't have the presence. I get it, right? It's not the end of the world. Yeah. But when I, and then she's like, and they's like, oh my goodness, you know, you're right. She didn't have enough signatures, blah, blah, blah. But, they said, uh, we'll leave her on the ballot. And I said, well, how can you violate Texas election law and still be on the ballot? And this is what the Democratic officials said. They go, because we're a private party, we could do whatever we want. But you're... And I said, I said, well, I'm not okay with that. He says, well, if you have a problem, sue us. So the short end of chapter two of my book is, <laughs> is, I, is I sued the Texas Democratic Party and the Smith County Democratic Party for, for an injunction to get her knocked off mm-hmm. the ballot. But that was the only way it was going to happen. But the point is, going back, oh, so that, this was my connective thread, was this, why are we divided? It's a two-party system, but they are self-protective of their greatness and of their mistakes. Mm-hmm. They've betrayed the middle, and therefore... Even when jokers who are who violate Texas election law get on the ballot or any election law, unless somebody calls them out on it and has the stupid guts like I did to 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 bring a lawsuit, which I mean it's all very low key. I could talk about it publicly now because it never made one drop of ink in the newspaper. But the point is, you know, for him to make that comment to me because because we're a private party, we can do whatever we want. We kind of trust that the Democrats do things for Democrats or that the Republicans do things for Republicans. Most people. Don't don't flag wave for one party or the other. Uh, And I so going back to your point about us being a divided nation, um, there there has to be a pendulum swing um, away from uh, tribalism. In history, there normally is. Yeah, I hope. And unfortunately, a lot of times that swing can be violent. And I'm not saying violence is in like physical, but just a something massive shift something that happens now could that be the next election could that be something going on right now um at the time we were recording in august obviously we had some things that happened over the weekend in el paso and dayton and we our hearts and prayers go out to them but could something like that happen some say yes some say no but usually in history a pendulum will shift i am of the mind being the tech nerd that i am that it will happen through social media. It will happen through social media. You know, the groundswell will take place because in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s, if something happened on one side of the world, it took some time to get to you. Now, something can happen in Australia right now. We'll know about it in 20 minutes right. or less. So I, I think that pendulum swing, you're right on that. I think it's going to be something that's, you know, quick and sudden but i think it's going to come from you know us looking at our phones and finally saying enough is enough now will we as a society say okay we've had it with whatever's going on be it guns be it um bigotry be it fiscal irresponsibility be it political climate be it anything i think that's on us as humans but who am i what am i to say you know it's an entrenched system so make no bones about it. I mean, it takes crazy people, and I'll count myself among them, to try and push a different agenda and a different narrative. But you know, I'm also the people that I'm also the person that will lose for that very reason. Um, it, it, it's an entrenched system, and people who are engaged with you on social media and on tech platforms mean nothing unless they go to the ballot box. 
Um, there, there's a great line a friend of mine has that Texas, you know, we think of Texas as the big conservative state. They say Texas is not a red state. It's a non-voting state. I mean, Ted Cruz is our senator because he won 3% of Texas votes in the Republican primary in 20-whatever it was, mm-hmm. 12 whatever. I mean, it's insane. I mean, so you lose your right to complain about it if you're going to sit on the sidelines. And, you know, I mean, I think the Trump election proved to us that we love democracy and our system more than we love the politicians. Because we're, we're willing to put up with a lot. And I don't care if you're a Republican and you're listening to this and you're like, well, he hates Trump. That's not what it's about. I'm saying um, we honored the system peacefully, uh, even if it wasn't our candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for all the pain that it's caused whomever, right? Uh, again, I think we love that system and we put our faith in that system more than we put it into the politicians. So now the next fix is the politicians. Right. And, and, you know, our country got swept up and drained the swamp fever, but that didn't happen. So no. I, I want to share one thing about tech and, and politics that I think is interesting. And it's not me personally, but it's just a, and many of your people may have known this already. But there's a VOX, Vox, you know, mm-hmm. you know there's a video that I watched a, year, a few years ago that's always fascinated me. You know, th- there, I got to think of how to say this. There are. There's some com- a university somewhere that's running models. I'm a poker player, too, so they're like, you know, instead of me playing 10,000 hands, you know, whatever, this computer will play a million hands in 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And as it plays it, it picks up probability and statistics. And so now we have a, we all have access to a very set of data that if you're playing poker, this is the, you know, ra- hand ranges and whatever. So the same way, this there's these computer models now that run millions of scenarios for... Uh, congressional districts, right? So we all get gerrymandering, right? Yeah. We know. That, by the way, for those who don't know, um, Smith County and well, Congressional District One, which is Louis Gohmert, mm-hmm. until 2004, it was a Democrat. Max Sandlin was our was our Congressman Max Sandlin was a Democrat from East Texas, right? When it got redistricted, that's how we get a Republican in there, and it was a guaranteed Republican, mm-hmm. and we know that that happens, and there were lawsuits and this and that. Um, and all we know is that gerrymandering is illegal as long if it's done for racial purposes or, or yeah. political, intentional political bias. But there's always to fudge that. Mm-hmm. So these models, these computer models are basically looking at, look, if you have a population of whatever the number is, 300,000, I don't know what the number is, 500, I don't know. What would the lines look like? And so let's say they create millions of models. Well, they can look at Congressional District 1 or or Maryland Congressional District 3 or, or you know, California District 35, whatever. And they say instead of it being this weird design, which is clearly gerrymandered for different reasons, it should look like X. And what's awesome is that these models are non-political, they're neutral, they're data-driven, they're tech-driven. So what in the Vox video, it was designed for a potential Supreme Court challenge to a gerrymandered district. So let's say the argument is, well, this district is gerrymandered. Uh, it should look like this, but it was looked like this for racial profiling reasons. So the argument is that this tech data, you know, this computer model, will show you what it should have looked like, mm-hmm. right? So that way they can see the disparity. Forget that. I don't care about the Supreme Court. I'm curious about, I would love a neutral, gerrymandered, tech-driven yeah. uh, project down the road to say... Um, run it a million times, and that's mi- it. And, and then and then approve it. It's all done at yeah. the state level. Mm-hmm. 
it'll never happen because, again, entrenched political parties. Yeah, because both I think Republican and Democrat are afraid that, you know, let's say that model changes and a heavily blue Democratic area now goes more purple. They're like, well, we're going to lose our seat because even though it's fairly done, you don't lose that seat. It's all about, you know, it's, as you know, in politics, it's all about seats. How many seats can I carry at a local, state, and federal level? So I think that's a good idea. Just well, to, and Eric Holder, former attorney general, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he's got he's doing a, This is his project. He's mm-hmm. doing a, a look at how do we create neutral bipartisan districts for re-gerrymandering. And, and the, the interviewer basically said... Uh, you know, it sounds like you're just trying to help Democrats. <clears throat> and Eric Holder said, well, of course I am. I mean, that's who I am. And that's mm-hmm. my party. But he said, it, it, his response was great. He goes, but it's still the Democrats' job to win the seat. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't change the fact that you still have to have platform and policy and capital behind you to win the seat. Just because you get a gerrymander doesn't mean it should be a freebie to whatever. By the way, if you ever want to look at what a gerrymander district is and how you could just throw somebody who's ineffective for the district in, Let's look at some local congressmen, right? And, and I, I don't care. I mean, he knows I feel that way because I've said it to his face. But, like, you know, and I, I count him as a friend, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, you know. But, you know, he's had zero official challenge. Look, I take it back. Shirley ran against him four times. Mm-hmm. And by each time she ran, she lost by a wider margin. I don't even know how you do that. But she couldn't capitalize on any votes beyond diehard Democrats. She had no uh, pull beyond, you know. And, and Louie, for all of his... Um, uh, troublesome rhetoric and his his uh, party flag waving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's he's never going to lose a, an election here in yeah. Texas unless. So if it's an idea of if it's a competition of ideas, that's a different story. Yeah. But we've never seen that. We've never seen that here in East Texas. And you, I mean, I've only I've only been in four years. It seems like ideas in that aspect are frowned upon I, I think we be the word out to use where it's like that's that if i had something that's nuanced and in the tech world i've noticed that too around here if you, and i've noticed that living in smaller areas in the midwest um if you have a nuanced idea that's good people are kind of scared not because it's good but because it's different sure and the fear is well what is this going to do to me well it's going to improve it technology was is put here to improve our lives it's not going to replace like cyberdyne from terminator is not going to come in and take over things it's just ways to improve our lives so it you know that's my little two cents soapbox what's crazy is we are treated as binary people and we're not none of us are like that we're all much more nuanced we're all much more thoughtful i mean i saw idiocy when during my campaign and i saw incredible I had a guy who's a hard right conservative Republican, never voted for anybody else in his life aside from Republican. And he, he called me up. I'll never forget this. And he, he said, I want to go to coffee with you because I know you. I like you. But I want to know why I need to vote for you. Right. So we went out and coffee for a while and he, he pledged his support. He gave me money. And he said to me, you're the first person I'm ever going to vote for. And I said to him, I said, look, if I lose this election, which I did, this was worth it. Like the idea that that exists. Right. That that dialogue can exist, right? Because if you're talking about fiscal conservatism, you're talking about social progressivism, which used to be called Blue Dog Democrats mm-hmm. or Chamber of Commerce Republicans or whatever, mm-hmm. that was the world I live in. But I didn't, you know, I should tell whatever listeners, and I, this is not a, a humble brag, but 
I came at it after 15 years of community name recognition. I'm not some random Joe dude who, you know, there was a, a, a pool cleaner from a local community here who decided to run for Congress one time. All right, that was, that was <laughs> cute. But, I mean, I, I had community capital and a voice. And so I said, I'm going to use my voice to create a message of we can do better. And that included Republicans. And so they have to compromise, admittedly. And Democrats had to compromise mm-hmm. to work to come to my thing. But we had, we had, up until last election cycle, straight ticket voting in Texas. You could walk in, hit Democrat, Republican, walk out. That's gone, by the way. In 2020, there's no more straight ticket voting. But in order to hit the button for my name, you had to intentionally press the button for my name. In a straight ticket voting climate, I had 12,000 people intentionally, 25% of the voters, intentionally press the button for my name. That's insanely, that's never happened before. Yeah. In all of Texas, it's never yeah. happened. Um, and... I'm very proud of that, but uh, the use of technology to go coming all back full circle was crucial to the campaign because uh, I'm a long-form speaker and talker, and I engage people and write long letters, and I got a lot of complaints from people like, quit writing your email so long and this and that, or just give me like the bumper stickers. And um, I did some of that too, but um, you know, it, the, social media, it's the same as in old advertising, even from the 30s, right? It's the number of impressions the number of times people see your things and the association they have with your name period end of story yeah. and whether that's on a billboard or a tv commercial or a so or a facebook ad um by the way that's why i didn't text people i had i did do a robo call i was not happy with it i was con- concerned about it um but i did i did a series of robo calls and they were 30 seconds hi this is neil Kazan. Blah, blah, blah. first off it was like 12,000 people for 140 bucks it's crazy cheap that is true um, it was you could very clearly tell the parameters of when you wanted to call. Uh, the question is how I got those numbers. That's my secret sauce of how I got all those numbers. But uh, but what I and I was offered the possibility for only a couple hundred bucks to do a text messaging campaign. I don't know why. I just felt like that was much more intrusive. Like because I was getting text messages from political candidates during the campaign, and they're like, you know, vote for whatever, or send you know, and I was like, get off my phone, dude. How, and then how'd you get this number, right? Uh, people don't respond that way to emails or to phone calls quite often because they kind of get it that there's a spam market for phones. And, but texts are much more private, I feel. Yeah. So I, I opted out of the text market um, because I just I wasn't ready to go there. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, moving forward, as sure. you wind up here or winding up here. So how I want to spin it forward and let's be positive. I feel like we've we've kind of been like, oh, this is this is this, this is that. How do <laughs> how do millennials, Gen Zers, whatever you want to call them, how do they get involved? How do you how do someone like me or yourself get those involved through tech or non tech means um, in the political game? Because I think going that's the next generation. So are you talking about getting involved as voters or actual politicians and policymakers? Both at a politician level and also at a community organizer. A voter involved in your local community, involved in your city council, involved in your state and federal legislator legislation. Like, how do those? I say kids, but they're not. They're my age range. How do they get involved? How do you engage them? What's the best way? Meet myself in this platform. Yourself and your platform can get the next generation to say you can make a change, whatever way your your politics reside. You can make that change. You just have to do X. Well, there's never X. I mean, there's X, Y, and Z. But, but look, 
people treat politics as a spectator sport. Um, it's, you know, I've never seen, I know that people are going to get mad when I say this, I've never seen one episode of Game of Thrones. Oh. Right? But people tell me, like, you're insane. You know, they get mad at me because I've never seen it. Right? It's just, but look, there's a hundred things I can binge on, right? Mm-hmm. I binge on other things, right? I get it. Like, politics isn't everyone's forte. They're, they may not be interested. They don't want to go to city council meetings. They don't want to watch, you know, boring speaker, you know, hearings or whatever. And so people, not everybody is interested in being a spectator of local politics, right? So they treat it like an extracurricular or an optional thing. Um, my argument would be don't treat it as an extracurricular. I don't know. It's a weird comment to make. Um, there, look, I'm a, I'm a great example, right? I, I was not a party person. I, my background is in the religious community. I'm a, I'm a rabbi. Um, I saw a problem, and I wanted to address it. And I didn't want to tell someone else to address it. So I just did it. Right? There's no... There's no you know, you, you go online, you learn the law. That's number one. If you want to, I'm talking about if you want to run for something, right? If you're a, if you want to be connected with the Democrats or Republicans, you reach out to their local parties. You say, hey, listen, I'm interested in, in the elected official, elected office at a certain point. Um, if And they'll, they'll groom you, uh, hopefully. They'll groom you and get you connected with the right people. But, it, you know, the amazing thing about politics is it's, it's always your drive. Right. So there were people, local elected officials from both parties here who said they wanted to be elected officials, but they were waiting for the party to do something for them. I promise you, get that out of your mind. Right. You have to knock on doors. You have to create the volunteer base. You have to figure out the messaging. You have to do it all. Right. And you do it with a team and you do it with a a, I I, the life or death of my campaign was my campaign manager. The, The woman who worked with me, who is the reason I did anything, um, she tempered me when I was mad. She changed the way I dressed. <laughs> she changed. She she reviewed things, and because she had a different perspective, right? You have to let go and let other people do that. But running those kind of campaigns, it's very fulfilling. I have zero regret. I loved it. But you're talking about millennials getting involved in political campaigns. Get involved for the right reasons. Number one, right? Because you want to make your community a better place. Not everybody cares about potholes. But guess what? City council does potholes, right? Not everybody cares about the funding formulas for public schools. But guess what? Your taxes, that's exactly how your taxes are, are calculated. Everybody likes watching it on the national stage. What did Mitch McConnell do? What did Chuck Schumer do? What did Who cares? Right? My interest is what is my... So I'm much more of a local politician, all politics being local. So if you want to be an elected official, the easiest route is going through a party system. Even though I've sat, spent time dogging the parties, that's, they're still the best ways. They still do the best get-out-the-vote models. Right? Uh, and they still have the background to to give you a platform from which to run. Um, if you want to just be involved, um, I don't know. It's as simple as just subscribing to a podcast. Like there, there's one here in Tyler called Roses and Weeds. I think it's about local politics from the mayor. Um, they all of the city council meetings are available. Not that you want to sit there and watch a city council meeting for an hour and a half every week, but. Um, they're done as uh, synopses are done. There's a, the local newspaper does it as a Twitter update every time the you know one council person sneezes. That's a Twitter update. So there are ways just to be involved in it. But again, it's a spectator sport. What do I care about the road construction on the other side of town? Um, but ultimately, there are going to be big issues that are being raised. There was an, an article either today or yesterday in the paper about they're starting to finally have an adult discussion about taxes in Tyler, right? 
I don't know where it's going to land, but we have a history. We have a very particular conservative financial history here, Tyler, which I really appreciate. But I don't know if that's the I'm not the right person to answer this. But the question is, should Tyler be borrowing money since interest rates are low to finance projects that are crucial to the development of Tyler? Right. Historically, the answer has been no, because Tyler doesn't borrow a nickel. Uh, we, we pride ourselves on having paying it, you know, in cash. I don't know if that's sustainable, to be honest. Um, so, I mean, but there are all, all kinds of avenues where people can get involved. There's the Economic Development Council. There's the promotion of the local community. There's the actual elected officials. There's the uh, there's this thing in Tyler called um, a ca- coffee with a councilman. I know that's like the low bar of entry. And by the way, there's not a council person here in Tyler or anywhere that you can't call up and just say, hey, can we have a coffee? They'll, oh, yeah. they'll all oh, yeah. do it. Um, so if you want to take it seriously, uh, not only vote, but vote every time. Vote in every election because you will start popping up as a crucial person and your voice matters. If somebody, I'll be honest with you, if I was an elected official, this is going to be a horrible thing to say. But understand that if I was an elected official and you came to me with a concern... I would hear anybody, right? But a person who has a voting history of voting every time, look, beyond, like that person has a louder voice than someone who's never voted before. Yeah. And now expand that out to communities. When you look at a Hispanic community and you see out of 900 people that have voted, 20 Hispanic surnames, that's not my model, but there are Hispanic organizations that do exactly what I just said. Yeah, that's a problem. Guess what the next politician is going to do? Not talk to the Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do we care what their concerns are? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying. Yes. So, rhetorically. Yes. Rhetorically. So, mm-hmm. you know, look, I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking here, but as someone who went through the fire of engaging voters and messaging to voters and working across, I can tell you the, the system favors those who are engaged. And if you don't want to wait till you're 50 to get engaged, fine. But um if millennials are concerned with gun violence or climate change or whatever, your engagement matters. It's not going to matter in one election, but it'll matter over the course of two or three. When we start putting in politicians who are much more responsive. Hmm. So, I don't know, that was a big answer to a short question. But yeah, it's okay. It's it's not like we're up against a clock. You're fine. You know, I mean, look, <laughs> it, you know, I know a lot of people are very cynical in the process. Mm-hmm. I, I pride myself on not being cynical. I mean, I know it may come across that way, but I, I loved every minute of it. I loved every minute of engagement. Even the idiots who posted on Facebook nasty things about me, I loved it. I know that sounds crazy, but like, you know, not not all the stuff I love, but I also have a very thick skin. I can handle whatever. Um, but I was driven to make sure that our current state rep had an opponent. Um, and you know what? It, it mattered. It mattered when he went back down to Austin. It mattered in terms of the things that he supported and voted for. And it calmed him down. Look, when Michelle Bachman, who used to be one of our crazy Congress people, mm-hmm. um, she's not dumb. She's just she's just got a particular radical. When she lost her primary, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When she won her primary by 2,300 votes, very close. Guess what? She calmed down. She became much more moderate. She became much more responsive. It matters when people engage politicians if they run against them, even more so, right? Um, it matters if you look at MJ Hager, who's running for. She's one of the people running against. Senator Cornyn, but when she ran for her congressional seat, if you watch, have you ever seen her video called Doors? I have not. If anybody out there is listening, go to type in MJ Hager, H-E-G-A-R, and Doors. Watch her video. In my opinion, it's probably the greatest political video ever made. 
and, and I say that from somebody who created a political video, you have to create message, story, and her story is killer. She didn't win, but her story was just astounding. But her story, I don't want to give too much of it away. Just type in the video. You'll watch it. But, you know, she was somebody who was rejected and told that she was rejected from being engaging, engaged with her because she wasn't a donor. Right. And so that that's when you watch the video, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so those are the things that spur, spur us to action. What spurred me to action was accountability. Um, but um, I'll end on a more positive note, I guess, or, or talk about this. And that's community involvement and community active, community organizing, I guess. Um, so let's put politics aside for a minute and just talk about the community. Um, the strength of my community and of every community is in the nonprofit world. Um, I personally believe that because, of course, I'm a nonprofit junkie. Um, but understands that our schools are nonprofits, our universities are nonprofits. How does our community support those who need social services? How do they need people? How do they support people who uh, are needing mental health services? And I don't mean on the, the the professional level, meaning the the you know, of course, there are awesome therapists all over the country. But I'm talking about community nonprofit mental health. Community nonprofit hospice. There are for-profit hospices and there are non-for-profit hospices. Learn the difference between the two. Um, so the strength of our community is, and I used to use this during the campaign, I used to say, you know what I know? Um, that I would sit in a boardroom at the Hospice of East Texas, and i just pick on them as an example. And I looked around the room, and I knew all those people on the board, right? And I knew that this person is a diehard Republican, and this one's a yellow dog Democrat. For those who don't know, that means they're going to vote for anybody, including a yellow dog, as long as it's a Democrat. But diehard Republican, diehard Democrats, right? Diehard liberals, you know, hyper right-wing Tea Party conservatives. But you know what? When we were in that boardroom, no one cared. All we cared about in that moment was making sure that we provide the best hospice care available or, the, or that we have the best science museum available or that we have the best social services to our neighbors in need available. That's what we care about. That's the true heart of the community. That's what – and I only know that. Because I volunteered. I contacted all these people. Uh, I keep getting asked to serve on boards. Look, I'm a weird guy because I'm a rabbi in a small, you know, evangelical community. I'm, I get that. But it's open doors for me to see how awesome this community is. Mm-hmm. And that strength is felt in the nonprofit world. So even if you're not interested in politics, just call up a local science museum or a local university and say, how can I volunteer? How can I help? I can offer an hour a week, two hours a week, or, or money. Don't forget, writing a check is a big deal to all these nonprofits, right? I can support 50 bucks a month. Um, all that stuff matters, and all that stuff strengthens our community. Tyler happens to be a very philanthropic community, um, but the train's going by. That's good uh, on time. But uh, I would argue that if you if you don't know about community organizing, go to the nonprofit world. You will see uh, sometimes, and I'll admit, you'll see sometimes horrible governance you'll, you'll figure that out very quickly but you'll see people who put their heart and their time and their resources into helping other people that's the strength of any community yeah. po- politics aside that's where the strength is and I think that's what I kind of want to wrap it up there is sure. that we despite your political differences I, despite the division of the nation despite the things going on I think we need to get back to the middle as you talked about earlier and just the human level of everything you know, you can be right wing, left wing, liberal, conservative, but we were humans first. You know, we're all 
like they'll say we're all God's children. Uh, we're all humans first. We're all, you know, I need to look out for my fellow man and woman and child, just like everyone else. I think if we get back to that, some of this, now not all, but some of this hyper sensitive rhetoric that you see online or you see in person sometimes can die down. But it's, I think it's important to recognize that our communities and our world, they are not the Twitterverse. They're not. I mean, there was a local uh, person here in in Tyler a couple days ago posted a meme that she obviously picked up from some other person on Facebook. And it was a picture of the president holding on to the ledge like he had fallen off and he was like holding on with his fingertips to this ledge. It was a Photoshop stupid picture. And the person posted, what would you do? Like clearly insinuating like let him drop. And I, I wrote gross. No. Right? I don't care what your politics are. That's just gross. Like, that's not who we are. It's a human being. Right. Yeah. So, I, I don't care left, right. I mean, they, I hate it when they did to Obama. I hate it mm-hmm. when they do to Trump, right? Um, and I don't give him a lot of credit. I know, I don't care what people say about that, but we're putting a lot of energy into him and his, his nuttiness, but remember, he's temporary, right? I had a guy write to me during the campaign on Facebook. He wrote me a private message with the nastiest note about how I wanted to kill babies and I hate, you know, I hate this and I heard you date Christians and whatever other crap he did conjured up. So this is what I wrote him back. I still have the letter. I love it. I said, Hey, so-and-so I said, um, I said, thanks for reaching out to me. Just understand this, whatever happens on Tuesday, which was the election, uh, whatever happens on Tuesday, we're still going to be neighbors on Wednesday. So take a breath, calm down, you know, support the candidate that you love and represents you. You know, back off. Like, I just, yeah. people are, but the, I recognize that that's an outlier, right? People are not the Twitterverse. People are much better uh, and better hearted than we give them credit for because we're just angry because of how social media can divide us. Uh, but it can bring us together too. And we just need better voices, bigger mouth voices. And I tried to do that in my campaign, but that was last year. So who's going to take the mantle this year? Hopefully some millennial and, uh, uh, or, or somebody who's going to be the next. Uh, messenger of making our community a better place. You know, my best friend here in Tyler happens to be a spokesman for the local mosque. This is a Muslim guy named Anwar. And everybody knows that we're friends. We've won awards together, blah, blah, blah. Um, and people say to me, you know, how is it that you and him are friends? And I say to him, uh, I say, look, um, Anwar and I cannot change the politics of the Middle East. Our job is not to change those. Our job is to make sure we both have a great community here. That's it. And by the way, he's a he's a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, uh, you know, and I I had had a history with the Democrats here, but the the reality is the two of us, politi- politics aside, Middle East politics aside, we're just working together to make sure we have a great community. And you're either going to be a partner in that holy collaboration, or you're going to be a bystander. So who wants to be a bystander? I think we'll leave it there. It's a good way to end it. Neil, thank you so much for this has been a lot of fun. Good. I um is if you want to, is there a way people can reach out to you any kind of way? Um sure. So let's see. Um they uh I have a I'm not promoting my music here, but I, I have cats K A T Z catsmusic.com. Okay. It okay. just goes to a Wix website. Mm-hmm. I don't really not that active anymore. But the email's there or the contact information's there. Uh, if you just type Rabbi Neil Katz, there's only one of me. <laughs> and uh, I, there's a million ways to reach me, but um, uh, I respond to Facebook very well. And, um, you know, I just, this is an interesting thing. 
I was one of those anti-Facebook people. Like, you know, like I didn't need it, right? Up until 2010, I won a very prestigious competition for music, and I recognized that I had to create an online presence for my music. That's really what started yeah. me, my online presence back in 2010. But up until that time, I, I fought it tooth and nail. <laughs> and now I love it, you know? I, I love it and I hate it and so forth. But, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's our jobs to do what we can to bring people together and to find that workable middle, that humanity. And tech is definitely a piece of that puzzle. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. That'll do it for us. Um, you can reach us at Tech Cross at Tech Crossover um, website, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And I'll close out by saying, you know, tech is cool, but, you know, humans are cooler. Let's just get out and be humans again. All right. See you guys later.